With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your HN Podcast, Miller and Dace, time to take a look at this coming week's games of the college football season. But before we do that, a little bit of not breaking news as we record this at 9 p.m. Central Time on Thursday, the 21st day of September. But breaking this afternoon, Nebraska, Nebraska firing its athletic director, Sean Eichhorst, in a move that Steve Dace predicted on December 4th. 2014, the day they hired Mike Riley. I think we both said it was a fireable offense, and here we are, less than three full years later, and Sean Eichhorst is out, and if I'm Mike Riley, I might want to find a uh, a realtor pretty soon. Yeah, I think this obviously indicates it's the end of the Mike Riley era. Era, um, era uh, Freudian slip there on my part. Uh, but uh, I think it clearly means he's on borrowed time. And, you know, I, it, it's going to be fascinating. You know, you, it, take, I'm guessing, 60 to 120 days to hire an AD. You know me, I'm a Christmas slappy, so I know that it's exactly 94 days until Christmas. Um, well, that puts you Which right means around. 84 days till, Force, till um, Star Wars. The Force Awakens. The Jedi movie comes out. Or Jedi, The Last Jedi, you're right, yes. Uh, We also have an early December signing period now. That starts now. We've not had that before. So I don't know what that does with coaching changes. Something tells me with the early December signing period, Yep. you know, we're going to see more in-season firings. Yep. Because you've you, you you used to be able, you know, after that first weekend in December, everything was pretty much on quiet until... Um, after, you know, a lot of schools, yeah, the Bulls and the coaching convention in early January, you know, um, a lot of schools have that first weekend in December. They usually try to schedule a big home basketball game and bring recruits in. I I think that's not as prevalent now, but with the, with the December signing period, I think that's going to, you're going to see more in season firings of coaches like we do in the NFL, where teams try to get the jump on one another in laying the groundwork for who the next head coach is going to be. Um, get ahead of what they call in the NFL Black Monday. So, you know, you hire a new AD first. Um, they've got to expedite that and because they can't get a new coach till they hire that person. And I think that means uh, the Nebraska program is really in flux. They had a good recruiting class last year. They have one ranked even higher by some services, lined up for 2018. But those are guys recruited. A lot of their top guys are from the West Coast, places where Mike Riley had success recruiting when he was at Oregon State and to a certain system. 
And and I think you're looking at with a second coaching hire in less than three years. You know, depending on whatever the scheme is of the next coach, they're looking at almost unprecedented level of roster of people. And even beyond what Michigan did going from Rodriguez to Hoke to Harbaugh, because Harbaugh was essentially going to do what Hoke attempted to do anyway. Hoke had already undergone the roughest part of that transition. But now they're attempting to, they're going to attempt, depending on what this next guy is, if they want to go back to their more natural brand, you're talking about going from, you know, a spread option look to a pro style to maybe another spread option look. It's just a bad time to be a Nebraska fan. I I know that that's, you know, uh, master of the obvious Ed Cunningham uh, type of analysis, but um, I I don't know that they're getting back up anytime soon and when you look at you know Iowa has a guy that I it's a it's he's at the tail end of his career but he's still at the tail end of a what I think is going to end up being a college football hall of fame career you look at the dynamic personality that Minnesota has you look at the way Jeff Brom has changed the culture already at Purdue and then you look at Jeff Brom's former team Western Michigan who was picked to win that conference again Western Kentucky and they're yeah Western Kentucky and they're terrible which sort of adds credence to what he's doing at Purdue. You have, you know, Wisconsin, as long as Barry Alvarez is the AD there, is going to be the power or a power in that division. I, I don't – they've they got to nail this, John. I mean, th- this can't even be a double. Th- this has got to be a walk-off home run, and I don't know that there's a natural candidate out there. You know, I've talked a lot for the last year and a half about Scott Frost. I think they've got a good chance to pull an upset against Maryland. We'll get into that here in a moment on Saturday. And, you know, now now you're at the point where you really hope he shines in year two because with his previous resume at Oregon, that gives you a chance to hold on to some of these West Coast guys, you hope anyway, that, that Riley has brought in. Um, but it's, it's good to be open season on that recruiting class. For the next two and a half months, no question about it, and and they better nail this. I mean, that this has to be, this has to be a home run. This has to be somebody. We have to have the exact opposite reaction whenever this gets announced. We have to when we do our podcast when Nebraska makes this choice, it, we have to have the exact inverse reaction to what we had uh, two and a half years ago when Mike Riley was, or almost three years ago when Mike Riley was announced. Right. It's what about. Um... Oh gosh, I've I've been sitting here thinking of his name for the last ten minutes, and all of a sudden I think forget about it. the guy nor UNO Trev Alberts, AD, former Nebraska guy. Well, obviously he he carries huge cachet with Nebraska fans, of course. But correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't he just about bankrupted UNO? Oh, dude, like I know, like I have any clue? Yeah, on that. I, I think I had read somewhere that um. He um, he put an arena d- deal together in Omaha there involving Nebraska Omaha, and it's just darn near bankrupted their athletic department. I'd ha- I'll have to look more into that, but I'm pretty sure I had read that somewhere that that he had crippled the athletic department there at UNO with a deal he had made for a new arena there. Sounds like your average politician to me. Looks like in you know Nebraska's got a lot of money to burn, but yeah, I. I... I think you make a really interesting point and one that may turn out to be exactly right pursuant to the the impacts on the college football coaching 
firing and hiring cycle as it relates to the early signing period. I hadn't really thought about that. And I think you're right. I think we will see more of these, you know, in-season NFL-style moves and likely, you know, coach-in-waiting announcements the third week of November to where you see a lot of lame-duck guys at their old school or probably, you know, you know, not even coaching their last games or so at their old school time was when you, maybe you didn't coach your bowl game. But we might see some guys just not coach the last few games of their regular seasons at their present school because everything else is being accelerated on the timeline. Yep. And, yep. and and that'll 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 leave us all with a little bit of a slimy feel, but it is what it is. So Yeah, I would I would I would not rule that out. I would not. And if at the very least, with the use of search committees nowadays, you do it. And you, the, 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 you're, what you're probably thinking is, if we do this now, if we're not going to, if we're not going to keep a guy, if there's any doubt we're going to keep the guy, do it now. Have the search committee lay the groundwork, and, and now before when we wanted that coach in place by Christmas, you know, we want them in place right after Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yep. You know. No doubt. And, and you know, you go back, go back ten years ago. And you remember when Lloyd Carr retired, and Les Miles was riding high, had the number one team, was was playing for the SEC championship. They went on to win the national title. Remember, Kirk Herbstreet broke that story that Les Miles was going to take over at Michigan. Well, he, well, it happened on the very day they're trying to win the SEC championship. That was such a terrible mess. Les, you know, said said I'm not going anywhere. Then tried to get back with Michigan later on. Provided Michigan would wait until after the national championship game, Michigan would not. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, a yeah. lot more. And when you look at the, the the pool of coaching candidates this fall or this winter, and you're talking about Nebraska could be open, UCLA could be open, Notre Dame could be open, Texas, Texas A&M, which has a literally a billion dollars to spend, literally a billion dollars to spend. I would not rule out Auburn being open. I would not. You know, a year ago at this time, LSU was playing Auburn. And the coach that lost that game was getting canned, okay? And it just so happened it was Les Miles. Well, here we're sitting, and, and Jay Jacobs, the Auburn AD, is embroiled in a scandal down there. That's who hired Gus Malzahn. I would not rule him. Be, if, if, they don't, if, if they don't become the team everybody like me thought they were going to be this year, I would not rule that out. Tennessee? I would not rule, Tennessee, I would definitely not rule out. Another new AD there. I would not, and and the new AD there was part of the regime that got rid of Phil Fulmer ten years ago. Okay, I would not, I would not rule out um, Arkansas coming open. I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, the Arizona schools. I think both of them could very well be open this fall or this winter. So, I, I and I just don't know who the logical pool of coaching candidates to fill all of these positions happens to be this is going to be i think really fascinating to watch i think that's maybe another reason why nebraska's new uh, administration went ahead and did what they did because the pool of candidates this year there is no tom herman there is no jim harbaugh there is no urban meyer um and that means you better get the jump on people and do your homework uh and it's clear that nebraska thinks that that's uh what what they're going to try and do for the next two and a half months yeah as far as our arkansas coming open you know, I, I tweeted out today that maybe maybe Bielema would be interested in the Nebraska job to get out of town ahead of the posse uh, in Arkansas. And Rob Howell from Hawkeye Nation tweeted at me this. Bielema's buyout at Arkansas, if he's fired in 
after this season is $15.4 million. If he's fired after the 2019 season is $11.7 million. After the 2020 season is 7.9. These next two years, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Malzahn's buyout similar. Kevin Sumlin's buyout. I think he's owed like $15 million the day he's canned. Okay? That, those SEC coaches, realizing the environment they're in, that they're up against, you know, the, the uh, Darth Vader down there, Nick Saban, they, uh, almost all of them, except the guy at Vanderbilt, had those kinds, has some form of your draconian, uh, you know, uh, cash cow buyout. And let me go back to what I said before. There is one major name. There is a Tom Herman, Harbaugh, Urban Meyer type of name out there I forgot. That's Chip Kelly. The problem you have with Chip Kelly is I don't think there's any way, shape, or form, as long as Jim Delaney is in charge of the Big Ten, you're bringing in a guy that had – you know, an NCAA notice against him for major recruiting violations. Now it's expired now, but I, I just, I, I think the, the big 10 doesn't have as many lines as it used to when it thought it was the Ivy league giving out scholarships and its own, you know, academia fantasies in the days of Hunter Rawlings at Iowa and, and, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, Ivy leaguers at places yeah. like otherwise, otherwise, the, otherwise known as the dark ages. Yes. The, the, we're not in that era anymore. But, but the Big Ten does have some lines it won't cross. I believe that's one of them. Um, I don't think Chip Kelly will go to the SEC. I, I think he saw in, in BCS Bowls and national championship games what happens when his offense, his style, goes up against those physical SEC defenses. Where I could see Chip Kelly land, uh, I could is I, it, it, any job that comes open in the Pac-12, um, I could definitely see that. Uh, but I, I have a hard time believing that Delaney's going to sign off on a guy like Chip Kelly going to a place like Nebraska. I don't know what you think about that. You know, you worked for the guy, so maybe you know more than I do. But given his reputation and what he thinks the Big Ten probably is, and it's probably not anymore, you have more ruthless coaches like Meyer, Harbaugh, James Franklin now, who it's no holds barred. We don't have any more unwritten rules, and we steal each other's signs on the base pads. That's kind of what the league has become like that. But but that would be the last remaining shibboleth, the last remaining fig leaf if you take a guy like Chip Kelly with his NCAA resume and bring him into the league. And I, I don't know that the Big Ten's going to sign off on that. Frankly, if anybody would do it or would do it and not care, I think it would be Nebraska. I think they're a full-fledged paid member now. They've they've sat on the sidelines and you know have had their um, partial payments to the Big Ten meted out over time. So now I think they are either either fully um, fully a financially shared member of all the TV revenues, or this is the last year that they're not. So I think they would give them the burden, say, "Screw you, we'll hire who we want." Uh, I don't think that that the Big Ten can come in and say no to that. Uh, frankly, Nebraska, half their fans would rather be in some other conference anyway. But, um, yeah. What other AD name? I was just on Twitter tonight, and I saw somebody write about this. Gosh, I want to scroll down and find out who it is just so you don't think I'm throwing crap against the wall. There's, I mean, and again, this is just people throwing names out there. Mm -hmm. What about Jamie Pollard? He'd be a great hire for them. Jamie's a great AD. Great AD. He'd be a tremendous hire for them. You know, I don't know him as well as I used to. It's been a few years since him and I have had, you know, 
real personal interaction because of what I do for a living now is different than what I used to do. And as you well know, him and I used to be very close. Uh, and I'm sitting down here in my man cave and I still have up on the wall that Cyhawk, that Cy- Cyclone State sign he put over I-80 in Iowa City uh, that he brought to my brought to me as a housewarming gift when we moved into this place. Wait a second. Uh, you got a picture of the billboard? Yeah, he framed one. And he gave it to me for a housewarming gift. I still have it down here in my man cave. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue. You didn't know that? No, I, I didn't that. know that. <laughs> Either that or I, my, 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 you my eyes it out? blocked the damn thing out. <laughs> yeah, it's been down here for going. That was 10 years ago now. It's been down here for 10 years. Yeah, that's how long we've lived in this house now. Good but, uh, grief. I never want to see that. <laughs> but so I don't want to pretend to know what he's thinking. I, I do know early on that if a job or a certain job or two, probably located in Madison, Wisconsin, had right. come open, I think he, there's no question he would have gone. Iowa State is the kind of place where the people are so good to you. Once it's hard to get immersed in the in the community there. I can speak from experience, but I can also speak from experience. Once once you do, the people there are exceedingly loyal. They have been great to Jamie, great to his family. You know, everybody knows about he has a son um, with an illness, has gotten excellent care, uh, you know, at Iowa Methodist, which has one of the leading pediatric um, centers in the United States of America, the Stoddard Center. So I, I don't, you know, you know, Nebraska, I'm not sure what resources they bring to the table where that's concerned. I don't know a lot about their campus. I'm not doubting. I'm just saying I don't know. But I, but I think there are lifestyle questions there that uh, apply to Jamie, which is why he's not really looked at taking another job. But if they could land him, that would be a feather in their cap. He is the exact right um, marketing uh, aggressor, take no prisoners. Um, I'm not into your factions. I'm into winning. Uh, He's exactly what they need. If they could land him, he would be a tremendous asset. Since now, former Nebraska athletic director Sean Eichhorst made that comment when he fired Bo Pelini that, um, you know, he had to consider where Iowa's program was as it relates to Bo Pelini not saving his job with a win at Iowa in 2014. Nebraska has the fifth best winning percentage in the Big Ten West. Fifth best in the Big Ten West. I mean, West. that's that is you, – you have to be more self-aware. You can't – and, and, and I, I shouldn't say this in the Hawkeye Nation podcast because it will be taken wrongly, but I'll say it anyway. You Steve, Steve, prepare... you have to be more self-aware. <laughs> Go seeing kick, continue. Way, seeing, the, seeing the way Nebraska fans see the universe, let me put it in a way that, that will be more friendly to this audience. <laughs> An Iowa AD does not want to uh, an Iowa fan does not want to hear from your AD. You know, I really wish we had a basketball environment much more like what they had at Hilton. You can't do that. Right, that's very that's a much better analogy. Yeah, you don't you can't do that. Okay? Can't. Can't do it. Whether it's even true, you oh, cannot it's, oh, it's true. say that. You simply can't. And that is the football equivalent of what their AD did. First of all, in their minds, they're insulted that the Big Ten wants to make Iowa their rival and not, you know, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State to begin with, just because the way they think and what their history is. Now you're saying they're not even our rival. We, we, we don't even measure up to where they're at. 
follow that up with, yeah, we don't really care if we lose that whole Black Friday thing we've done going back to the old great Nebraska-Colorado rivalries in the 1990s. And you just – we talked about this on the podcast this week, this weekend. You, you Losing is one thing, but you cannot insult the legacy and brand of your fans. You simply just can't do that. That's yeah. verboten. Yeah. They Brandon did it at Michigan, and now he, and now he's at Toys R Us, by the way, which by, just declared bankruptcy. Uh, and and Sean Eichhorst did that at Nebraska. You cannot do that. You can't. Yeah, I think Eichhorst and Riley made that Black Friday decision in a silo, and this is what happens. The fans said, F no, you don't do that. And the uh, brass within the university said, you're right. You're out, and Riley will not be long to follow. So the the, the win loss record, if you're a Nebraska fan, is in it, or a fan of a school of that of that elite history. The the mediocrity is an insult enough. The people presiding over it can't then turn around and confirm we're mediocre to you. That's not the way this works. That, Indeed, that's a that's a Jimmy Carter Malay speech. If you know what I'm talking about, if you know your history, you can't do that. You don't go on television and say to the American people. I'd be we're just not as good of a country as we used to be. We're just not as exceptional as we used to be. Even if that may or may not be true, if you you can't sit in the oval office in front of a teleprompter and say that to people. It will piss them off royally. And that that's what Jimmy Carter did, and that's exactly what Sean Eichhorst did. All right, let's get to the picks because I'm sure the Nebraska Piñata will continue to pay dividends the rest of the season. Um so we have them on the picks this week. Last week you won by five points in the confidence points. Uh, I was nine and six. You were eight and seven for the season. I'm twenty four and twenty one. You are twenty one and twenty four. So if this were Vegas, you would be out some money if we were betting evenly on every game, and I'd probably be kissing my sister. Fifteen games this week, and this is traditionally the time of year when Steve begins to assert his dominance because he is the college football savant and we get out of the big 10 i don't have you know 11 13 14 big 10 games each and every week so we shall see so what i did today on most of the non-big 10 picks is i pulled a george costanza my initial reaction against your instinct yes (laughs) yes i did i reached I went up to hit, you know, bold face the one I wanted. I said, nope, go the other way. So I think in almost every instance, that's what I did. We'll, nice. we'll try this out. Let's start with Michigan against Purdue. Game in West Lafayette. Going to be a very, very rare sellout, allegedly, in Purdue. Now, they actually said tonight they have 5,000 tickets left after all. Close enough to a sellout in college football yep. as far as I'm concerned. So that means Kinnick will also be sold out on Saturday. Michigan is a 10-point favorite. I'm putting seven on the Boilermakers. I resisted my initial temptation on this one as well. I'm like, yeah, Michigan's going to cover that. But they're just begging you to take the Boilermakers. In the end, I probably fell for it and made the square play, but seven points on Purdue. I think this just comes down to talent. And there's maybe two or three guys on that are going to start for Purdue on Saturday that would even be in the two deep. I mean, not even start, in the two deep for Michigan. I really respect what Jeff Brom has done. He's changed that culture around. Um, but uh, I, I just think there's just too much of people picking the upset. Yeah, BTN guys picking it, other guys picking it. And the thing with Michigan, I think you're going to see a lot this year because of how young they are. 
you know, having Florida and a big name like that for a first opponent, I think, was good. The next two weeks, you know, and I watched, you know me, I'm watching every play of their games. And so the minute there's a momentum change, the other team does something, a bunch of guys want to play hero ball. Okay, well, I did this in high school. I did. I made this play, took the game over. And, and I, I think that that's going to be a constant focus problem for Michigan with their youth. I think this is a week that it's not a focus problem because all they've done is read in, in every, everywhere that this is going to be a – this is Drew Brees and beating Michigan in 2000 all over again. I think you'll see Michigan play closer to what we saw against Florida than the last two weeks. I think they will cover the number. I think they're just, just – it's just talent. They're just better. So I'm going to put seven on this game too, but on Michigan. Next up, Iowa. Uh, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. I think we got things a little bit. Yeah, since I since I ordered the games this week, I and it's the Hawkeye Nation podcast. I figured the Iowa fans would want to save the best for last. Okay, so you put you you, you changed up and, and changed yours here. So we'll go ahead and go with uh, Indiana against Georgia Southern. Uh, Twenty four points is the line. Indiana is at home. Georgia Southern has played no one, and they've not been good. And I know that Indiana still don't know what's up with their quarterback situation. I'm going to take um, Indiana, and I'm putting 14 points on it. Yeah, I have no read on this because Indiana has been off for a while. Um, because of the hurricane, they've had an extra week off here. Uh, and it were – you wonder about focus when the, when you know they've got other teams starting in Big Ten play and you're playing an absolute nobody. So I have no read on this game at all. So I'll take Georgia Southern and the points, but I'm only putting one point on it. Okay, next up is Nebraska at home against Rutgers. They're 11-point favorites. We've spent 15 minutes talking about them. Boy, it sure seems a little bit shaky. Last week, Steve, I thought we'd see them bounce back. I put yep. 15 points on the Huskers last week as my best bet. And I'm going to do it again. Nebraska, 15 points to cover the 11. Yeah, I'm not really sure on this game either. I'm with you. I thought they might bounce back last week. Um, and, and keep in mind, this is not the Northern Illinois teams we've seen in recent years, going back to when Jerry Kill was there. Uh, this is a team that's only that's 11-6 and six in its last 17 games. And... They went into Lincoln and won last week. I, I Now with this news, I have no idea mentally where they are going to be. So I will take Nebraska, but I'm only going to put um, six points on it because I, I, I think that – I don't think Nebraska wins this game 27-17. to 17. To me, this is 44-10 to 10 or they lose. Ohio State 40-and-a-half-point favorites against UNLV. UNLV also stinks. So I'm going, that's a huge number I realize. And Ohio State's been killing me all year. I'm going to put nine on the Buckeyes to cover that number. Yeah, I'm not really sure again. Much like Indiana, I'm not sure how explosive they are offensively. I'm not sure how focused they're going to be with everybody else going into Big Ten play. And they're kind of, you're playing this game now and you're kind of just like, don't get anybody hurt, man. Uh, Big Ten play resumes next week. You're right, UNLV's terrible. Uh, they suffered the worst point spread defeat in the history of college football earlier this year to Howard University and um, Cam Newton's little brother. Uh, but I'm going to take them plus the points, but just like with the Georgia-Southern-Indiana game, I'm only putting two points on this. Hey, by the way, before I forget, 
you sent me an email a couple nights ago with these games. This year, I've been picking the games. Um, I appreciate you doing the work. I'm curious, why did you decide to pick the games this week? You feel like I wasn't doing a good enough job, or you didn't like what I was picking? Or... No, not at all. In fact, I, I like the fact that you're picking them. It's one less thing I have to do. I had some extra time, and I was going through my own picks. Okay. So I was just trying to be nice. No, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I was just, you know, just making sure. Okay. Um, and if I mean, if I'd have been up like by seven or eight games, I would have suspected. See, I knew it too. I knew when I sent those to you. I'm like, he's gonna think. This <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were gonna bring this up. I knew it. Oh, that's, that's why so... I almost. That's why I almost didn't do it. No, I, I do. I, you know what? Actually, I do appreciate when I. In saw fact, the... as I was picking the non-Big Ten games, I'm like. I'm going to have to pick a couple games that are I, I got to make sure these are obvious or he's going to think I picked these because I have it. I've got an angle or a trend <laughs> or something like that. I appreciate you do it because the first thing I thought, too, when I saw the email, I was like, cool, that's just one less thing I got to do today. But then I'm like, hmm, Spidey sense went off. All right. Uh, Notre Dame is on the road. Minus, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> Notre Dame is minus four at Michigan State. And I really don't know about this. Um, so I'm going to take the home team. It's only for Michigan State. I put eight on it. Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio, fifteen and three as an underdog. That's insane. Fifteen and three against the spread as an underdog. And keep in mind that includes last year. They played Michigan and Ohio State both when they were ranked in the top five last year, and they covered both of those games despite the fact they were three and nine. So I'm going to take Sparty here. There are some incredible trends, by the way, with Notre Dame unable to handle success. I mean, trends like I saw, like they are 0-8 against the spread coming off of a game where they won by double digits. It's nuts. And we just saw that earlier this year. They dominate Temple. They're a favorite against Georgia the next week. They lose. So I'm, I'm going to take Sparty, and I think I'm going to regret this. But I'm going to put 13 points on Michigan State with the points here. Mm. Florida State, 13.5-point favorites. Uh, at home against NC State. Um, my initial reaction, I bolded NC State, was going to pick them. But then I said, okay, let's go the other way. But also I have a little logic behind this. Florida State's going to be playing a new quarterback, which was the main reason why I was going to take NC State. But they've also had a couple of weeks now. They had their game canceled due to the hurricane a few weeks ago. Then they had a bye come up. So this new quarterback has basically gotten to get seven, eight, nine, ten days of reps, all the reps in practice. So I see a big number like that. I see a new quarterback. NC State's not a bad team. See the line? I'm going to go with Florida State and put five on it. Yeah, I have a completely different read on this game. I think Florida State would be much better off if that quarterback had had a chance to play. The quarterback you're talking about is James Blackman, a true freshman. And this is not your typical Florida State Parade All-American. He's just a three-star prospect. He's 6'5", 185 pounds. What's wrong with that? It means... Sounds like me as a sophomore in college. What's wrong, bro? Well, yeah, but you weren't about ready to get hit by an NFL, a defensive line at NC State that's got three NFL players on it, probably. I, I, was on, I was on the Pikes 1 flag football team. There you go. There you go. So, you I mean, you stood in there and took the rush. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay? This guy has not taken a snap. He was not a big-time recruit. He's under-physically developed. He's had no experience at all. I think NC State's getting undervalued here with the line. 
this should be a seven or eight point line. I think they're getting undervalued because of what happened against South Carolina, a game they lost, even though they had an, uh, they, they had an over 200 yard advantage in total yardage in that game. So, pardon me. So it was somewhat of a fluky loss. I wouldn't be shocked if they won the game outright. They nearly beat Florida State last year. So I'm putting 14 points on the Wolfpack and that number. Uh, damn, one of us is going to sound really stupid next week. Yes, indeed. Yeah. One of us will. Yeah. yeah. By, by the way, I'm 6'5", 225 steel right now, so don't think about messing with me. Uh, Georgia, <laughs> uh, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Mississippi State. Boy, Mississippi State riding high off that shellacking of LSU. And, man, I wanted to take Mississippi State, but the Costanza pick gives me Georgia and four points. Kirby Smart is just 2-6 and six as a home favorite at Georgia. Dan Mullen is 9-3 and three as a road dog in the SEC at Mississippi State. I think these two teams are basically even, but a huge advantage at quarterback for Mississippi State between Nick Fitzgerald and the freshman Jake Fromm. I'm taking the, the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and I'm putting 11 points on them. Dude, we are so different this week in picks. Not only picks, but our different picks. Where I have 15, you have... Six, where you have fifteen, I have six. Where I have thirteen, uh, you have. I mean, it's just it's insane how we're to- total opposites. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Florida three point favorite on the road at Kentucky. I'm like, give me Kentucky because Florida's struggling to score. I mean, I, I don't like Florida, so that's why I'm taking Florida six points minus the three. This is my fifteen point game. Florida has the longest. Streak of dominance after Navy beat Notre Dame a few years under Charlie Weiss, and then they've beaten them a time or two since then. That snapped the longest series losing streak in college football. Kentucky and Florida have picked that up. Ronald Reagan was president the last time Kentucky beat Florida. Florida has not, or I'm sorry, Kentucky has not been above 500 in the SEC since Carter was president in 1977. That's back when George Lucas could still direct a good movie. I think the streak ends here. Florida's best defensive player, Duke Dawson, is out. I I think that Kentucky, they're waiting for an ambush. I was very impressed with the way they went in and won at South Carolina in a very hostile environment last week. I think the Wildcats are going to be 4-0, and and they will win this game straight up. 15 points on Kentucky to end the longest series streak of futility currently going in college football. Do you think Jim McElwain is the dude featured in the uh, dolphin humping picture? The shark humper? Yeah, no. the shark humper. No, I, I, I don't think he's spooning with the shark. That guy's a little huskier than Jim McElwain is. What I don't get about that, though, is why he is, you know, there, people like uh, Bleacher Report or, and other sports sites like that, or they've got reports out there that he has spent thousands of dollars trying to scrub the picture from the Internet. He was asked about it at SEC Media Day. He said it really hurt his family. Why? Why not just laugh that off? Can you explain that to me? Why make a big deal out of that? Because you humped, because you humped a shark. That's why. <laughs> that's the damn only freaking... Dude, let's, let's get down to Occam's razor now, bro. Why are you upset about it? Why are you spending money to scrub it from the internet, allegedly? Why is your family upset about it? Because dad screwed a shark. That's why. I'll tell you this. He was came in to Florida a few years ago. He was a really happy-go-lucky guy. And, you know, he was really snotty to the media during camp the week leading up to the Michigan game. 
just lobbied several blasts at Michigan. You know, I wouldn't do this stuff Harbaugh does because when I took over at Florida, I didn't think I needed to do that to make our program relevant like he did and stuff like that. After the game, you know, they, they get this game, a huge win against Tennessee where they were dramatically outplayed. And immediately out there on the field, you know, Allie the Force asks him from CBS News, you know, how are you feeling right now? What are you thinking right now? He just kind of sighs and says, well, you know, Felipe Franks, he can throw the ball a long way. Uh, and then the way he reacted to this shark photo, he just strikes me as a, a guy that's really not enjoying his job. And, and probably this investigation. I mean, there's reports out there now that these guys are that some of these guys that were suspended are facing felony charges. There may be a separate credit card uh, fraud investigation. So he just looks like a guy that despite the fact he won 10 games his first year, nine games last year, went the SEC championship two game to both of those seasons. He seems like a guy that uh, the job is beginning to consume him a little bit. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, Google Jim McElwain, shark humper. And let me know um, what you get from that. This would be a good time to take a break uh, for one of our sponsors. What Heart- sponsor doesn't want that for a segue? Heartland yes. Flagpoles and Flags. <laughs> Heartland Flagpoles and Flags has flags of various shapes and sizes, banners, wind socks, and more of nearly every team and every sport. That's college, NFL, MLB, NBA, and hockey. If you feel like maybe you're the only Seattle Seahawks fan in your neighborhood, don't worry. They have flags for you as well. Heartland Flags has more than 100 Iowa Hawkeye items from flags to tiki totems, metal signs, luggage tags, and so much more. Let your fandom fly when you shop at Heartland Flags. Free shipping. Seriously, when you shop online, we're talking about free shipping. Your orders will ship for free from Heartland Flags. Heartlandflags.com is the website. Go check it out. Dace, he's a huge Michigan fan. He's a Detroit Lions fan. Rob Howe is a New York Mets fan. I went to their website. Heartlandflags.com has it for you. Again, free shipping on all orders online. Follow them on Twitter at Heartlandflags. And once again, visit them online at Heartlandflags.com. Okay, we're back. Glad that you have the uh, shark humping out of your mind and Heartland flagpoles and flags in there. By the way, uh, ANF flags, a new shipment of ANF flags are in stock. So go to their website, heartlandflags.com. You can see it and get yours today. Uh, Washington, the Huskies, 11 and a half point favorites against Colorado. And, you know, Colorado's been playing okay. You know, it's at altitude. My gut instinct, go ahead. That's a lot of points. Go ahead and take Colorado. No. Going to take Washington three points uh, to cover the 11.5. Yeah, I'm on the Huskies here, too. I've got 12 on Washington, actually. Chris Peterson, all-time as a head coach, is about a 68% trend as a road favorite. I think it's 27-13 and 13 is his overall record. So I think the Huskies are just pretty much better at every single position on the field. Um, so I'm laying the wood here. Alabama. 18.5-point favorite against Vandy, and I look at Vanderbilt's defense and what they've done this year and think, man, that is a lot of points. Even for an Alabama offense, it's kind of scuffling-ish, if you will. So my initial instinct was to take Vandy, but no, I'm going to do the opposite. 13 points on Alabama. I'm with you again. I well, you're not with game. me. I, I'm, again, you're with, my, you're with the um, Antijohn. Then with the anti-John, okay. Uh, the, to me, this is a, a, a similar version, similar to Michigan and Purdue. 
Although Vandy, I think, is further along as a program as Purdue, and Alabama is obviously further along than Michigan. But it's similar in that <clears throat> both teams are off to surprising starts. They have new head, relatively new head coaches. Derek Mason's only in his third year, that seemingly have altered the culture there, and that's great. But I, I, I mean, there maybe there might be three guys that, that are going to start for Vanderbilt that would make the two deep at Alabama. So I just think, and I also think you watch, this game's going to be on CBS Saturday. Um, there's, this is going to feel like an Alabama home game. The Vandy Stadium only seats about 40-some-odd thousand. So many of those people are going to sell their tickets to Alabama fans that came to Nashville to party for the weekend to cash out. So I, I think Alabama rolls here, I think, uh, and I've got nine on the Crimson Tide. Dude, Nashville is a pretty happening spot. There's no doubt about that. Um, oh, Oklahoma State. 13-point favorites against Texas Christian. Now, I, I didn't do the anti-John here I, all week long. I felt that this is the number that the squares are going to get on and take Texas Christian the way that TCU's been playing thus far. I, you know, until somebody stops Oklahoma State, I'm going to ride them. Thir- I'm going to put 12 points on OK State. There's an incredible trend here. Gary Patterson, in his last eight games, revenge games, teams that beat him the year before, is 8-0 and oh against the spread. So I, but I rarely go against the trend. I'm going against it here. Sometimes you just have to go with what your eyes are seeing. And what you're seeing right now is, is Oklahoma State's offense is just unstoppable. It's just <clears throat> it's, it's unstoppable. It's a video game. And so I'm going to lay the points here. As much as I have respect for Gary Patterson as a coach, I'm going to put five on Oklahoma State and, and lay the points. Be honest with me. You, you called Wayne Allen Root this week. No, I did not. You got trends on every one of these damn games. Like mega killer trends. <laughs> it sounds like War sent you his freaking gold sheet this week. <laughs> I did not. I've not talked to War in a few weeks, actually. I think the last time we chatted was right before the season started. When you call him, do you call him War or Wayne? I just call him Wayne. I really wish you called him War. <laughs> You know, we're not quite as good of friends as you are letting on, just so you know. I mean, we're not like besties, okay? Well, you got no, I mean, I would love to, hey, hey, uh, this is Dace, what's up, War? I mean, I really would love to believe that's how it rolls. That would be cool. Um, Texas A&M is a two-point favorite at, a, I believe, a neutral site game, right? Is this going to be in Jerry's world? Yeah, since... Arkansas play in Dallas at Jerry World. Yeah, and... Um, this is kind of, you know, totally Blanchard is who you like to roll out with the loser-leave-town match. This kind of is a loser-leave-town match in a way, although we've established that Bielema, if, if he has asked to leave town, he's got a heck of a lot of money leaving town. I'm going to take Arkansas because I think they can probably do what they want to do with a power game. Two points is all I'm putting on it, though. I don't know what to think about this game. This is a Tyson. I don't know, man. Uh, so I'm all, yes, that's exactly right. You know, so I'm only putting three points on it. I'll take A and M, but I really don't know what'll happen. I don't. USC, seventeen point favorites against Cal at Cal, and I gotta be a little bit of a letdown factor after playing national TV against Texas. One of the just a very entertaining game. 87,000 people in the Coliseum. Overtime game. What a great moment. That's why you go to USC. 
and then you're going to go up to play in sleepy, creepy Berkeley. I'm going to put 11 points on Cal to cover this one. Mm. So I completely agree with your analysis. I would even throw in the last two weeks between Stanford and Texas. USC has just played a lot of physical football. And if you watched the game against Texas last week, they played the fourth quarter in those overtimes with essentially their backup defensive line because three of their four starters got knocked out. But this reminds me of the South Florida spread last week because I had the same analysis on that game that you had with, with Illinois and South Florida not playing in a while, Illinois coming in with confidence, right? South Florida hadn't looked that good the last two weeks, and we saw what happened. And I went with South Florida only because the spread, it seemed like the odds makers were telling me to do that. I think the same thing here, too. I mean, Cal is 3-0. and They have three, and, they, and, and two of them are power five wins when they were underdogs. And, yeah, North Carolina's not that good this year, but we saw a Stanford team that, that blitzkrieged Iowa in a Rose Bowl open the year at 9 a.m. local time at Northwestern and lose. Remember that? Okay. So for Cal to go out there at 9 a.m. local time with a brand-new head coach and and win that game on the road in Chapel Hill, I think that was pretty big for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at what they did to Ole Miss with the Ole Miss's offense. They didn't, get a, they didn't score a point in the second half. Justin Wilcox was a guy we kind of just thought they hired because there was nobody else would take the job. Well, he has them off to one heck of a start. So I see this game the way you did, you do, especially with a beat-up USC team. But that spread is telling me that the guys in Vegas know something. I don't know. So I'm going to take Southern Cal and put four points on the Trojans, even though my read is the same as yours. So now we've got Vegas odds makers pulling double moves, the equivalent of a double move. They're putting a line out there that makes it look so obvious they want you to take one team that you take the other. But then... It's too obvious that they want you to do that and take the other, so then you go back to the original. But what is this like? <laughs> this is like Princess Bride or something? You know, that reminds me, a game I mentioned earlier that I forgot to put in the list. This is why, from now on, I'm going to leave it to you, okay? I forgot Maryland and Central Florida. All right, I forgot to put that on the list. But that game is like, is, is like this, too. Central Florida hasn't played since week one. Maryland has been in a rhythm. They're rolling people. And yet they're only a three and a half point favorite. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. So I actually made Central Florida one of my best bets this week, just on the basis of how absurd I thought that point spread was. And yet we don't have them. In no, our I forgot. Picks. To, I forgot to put Maryland in. You there. forgot I, a bit. You forgot a Big Ten team. I did. I I forget. I forget those teams are in the Big Ten a lot. I'm sorry. You know what? I I, I I'm with you actually. I what I do each week is I go and double check my math and I count the the, the games. I should have done that on ESPN the the games yeah. that are in their Big Ten schedule because I'm of that very it, reason. I'm going to leave it to you from now on. Leave See, I don't know. See, I've complained too much now. That's like telling somebody they're a really good painter, and if you accept the compliment, yes. that means your ass is wow, painting really the whole good, house. You're really good at you're really good at moving. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. When right. I got a job in, in college, putting helping to pay my way through junior college, yeah, manpower. Yes. It wasn't no manpower came after I dropped that. <laughs> um, when I was putting myself through junior college, I worked for a year at UPS, and because if, if it was hard to get a job there, but if you could get a job there part time, they paid you ten bucks an hour, which in 1991 was huge money for a part time job. 
And um, they used to train all their loaders on what was called Toledo, the Toledo load. And Toledo was this at the time was the central hub of all of UPS packaging, and, which meant that everything that they had a wrong address, everything that had been returned, everything that was lost was sent to Toledo, which meant that load would send four or five trucks out. UPS would divide their loaders into three separate shifts of five hours. And so in, in most five hour shifts, most of the other loads would maybe not even send one truck or just one and maybe two. Toledo would send four or five loads out for every shift, which means if you loaded that truck, you, I mean, you were getting a CrossFit style of workout. And when and that's the, that's the that's the truckload they would they would put all their trainees on to start them off at the hardest, hardest spot. I figured out early on, dude, do not crush it in this truck. Because if I crush it in this truck, guess what's going to happen, John? I'm never getting out of this truck. So do do well enough that I get past my 90-day probationary period and get into the union. And then after that, man, average. And it worked. It worked. I got my 90 days in, got vested, got in the union, and then I wasn't a fast enough loader on purpose, and they moved me to scanning envelopes for next day air. Piece of cake. It worked. You know, one thing all these years I've never asked you about your time at Manpower. When you worked at Manpower... Were you were, were you the cowboy, the construction worker, the Indian, the cop, the leatherman, or the GI? What what did you dress up as? I just finally got what you were doing. I was actually thinking of all the jobs I had there, and then I realized uh-huh. you were uh-huh. you were this was a this was something. And else. then you're like, oh oh snap. That's right. John, no, I just want I want everybody to know I didn't stay at a YMCA. Last John, night. John's on to me. And little does John know that I actually did work right across the street from the manhole. Um, Stanford, minus seven and a half. And folks, if, if you don't understand that, then you need to go to the HawkeyeNation.com. Click on the podcast link in the upper right-hand corner. Scroll all the way down to the bottom for the old school Miller and Days hidden gems. And I think it's the third from the bottom where it was kind of our, our last morning show, radio show, where I kind of had a greatest hits on there, and then you'll figure it out. Um, Stanford, seven and a half point favorite at home against UCLA. This is another game, kind of similar to me, the the um, Texas A&M-Arkansas game. Both, I mean, UCLA losing last week to Memphis. Stanford's now one and two. When was the last time they were one and two? You probably know that. I'm putting one point on this game, taking UCLA. Going the other way, you're right, it's a loser-leave town match like Arkansas and A&M, but the difference is one team has a coaching staff with a pedigree that we trust, and that's Stanford. They have owned this series. Last year they lost on a bit of a fluke, so the trend line heavily favors them. Now because of the way they lost last year, they have a re- this is a revenge spot. Back-to-back road games for UCLA as well and going cross-country from out east to back out here. Uh, and I just think physically they're just a, a much superior football team. So I'm going to roll the Cardinal here and put 10 points on Stanford. Man, I, th- I just thought I had a freaking spider crawling on my foot. You, did you see my tweet tonight? Yeah, dude. Right, right, right by the front door, Black Widow. Black Widow. Just, wow. That's, that's just Thursday in Oklahoma, bro. That's all it is. I couldn't tolerate it, man. <laughs> what are you going to do? Move? Never move there. You That's keep talking. You keep talking about how you know Texas is your uh, geographic mistress, and how someday you're going to want to yep. get down there. Let me tell you what: everything we have here in Oklahoma, 
They have in Texas, but literally since it's warmer, it probably is bigger. It's not Oklahoma. It's where you moved in Oklahoma, bro. Well, we do live in the country. The last we couple of places you lived down there, you weren't tweeting out photos of Black Widows, G. We had okay? two in the garage in our last place in a neighbor, a really nice neighborhood in town. Two Black Widows in the garage, and the three. every air conditioning unit down here has them. I mean, it's a guarantee. We probably killed 15 or 20 brown recluses in the last place when we moved into it. Except this place, we've knocked out 100 of those suckers in four months because it was like nine months vacant and on the edge of the country. So yeah, it's, it is it is a little creepy. Sometimes I just like my mind says something's crawling on you, but nothing's there. Yeah, I, I to me, I, do you get a head? I should I don't, I don't want to ask this because go I don't want to bother you. No, go ahead. You, you got to pee in the middle of the night because you and I are getting to that age, right? Nope. With the prostate, nope. don't hold I, out. I'm, I'm 46. I'm my prostate is freaking is iron. Iron, iron clad still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I have to I have got to make a point of peeing twice before I go to bed now. That I before I if I had connect for me Wait to a have second. a night. So you you're going to go to bed. You go in and you pee, and then you stand up, and you walk around, and then you go pee again. What are you like? Yes. Some kind of dog marking your territory. <laughs> Always have a little extra squirt in there, dude. Shake it a few times. Just go once. I will do that, man. I will I will pee. I'll wait a few minutes. I'll go in there and turn the faucet on, get the water going because it helps. For real. Yeah, if I don't do that, dude, I'm up in the middle of the night to pee. What do you Seriously. eat, figs for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> no, honey, I can't drink. It's after six, but could you please bring me that sack of Fig Newtons? I'm a little irregular. <laughs> oh, well, this all this certainly beats the Beaver Olympics. <laughs> the soror, the, the, the yeah. Yeah, I got a tweet about that because somebody said they tried to ask their wife if they were in the Beaver Olympics and their sorority in college. And no, it didn't, they did yeah, he, look at your Twitter tonight. He tweeted it tonight. He said it didn't go well. She didn't think it was funny. Oh my God. Where'd you hear that? Oh, Miller and Days. I get lumped in. And then they said you must have had something with some weird Olympics in college because last week's podcast, you talked about the underwear Olympics. <laughs> Dude, this manpower was a weird, freaky place. <laughs> Your obsession with my time at a temp agency is creepy. And frankly. that's where those two dudes that wore your shirt probably met you. That's where we met. You just we were doing. You just we met doing data them. entry at Manpower. Yeah. In the name. I did some weird jobs at Manpower, man. I bet you did. And I probably should not have put that on tape. Let's just move on, okay? Hey, wait. That's a promo. Um. <laughs> Penn State, last but not least. Boy, we made y'all wait a long time to get to this one. Good idea, Dace. Um, uh, Penn State, 12.5-point favorites. Again, for those of you that are new to this, we use the opening week line because that's kind of the line where Vegas starts it out. It's fresh and pure. Oh, crap. I screwed that up, too. I used, like, the most up-to-date lines when I sent those to you. BS, you did. No, I did. Yeah. Good grief. Because it was originally 13 and a half. Yeah. So I screwed that up too. You know what? You're doing this from now on. My, I'm, I'm not going to help you. I, I screwed this whole thing up. I'm sorry. I blew it. Well, you're too important now. You're out of practice. Um, 12 and a half point favorite is the line that we'll use. I guess that's the most up-to-date line. I've really gone back and forth on this one this week. And for the first time this year, I have seen the glass of optimism and I've taken a stout 
draw on it, much like a fine beer from Exile Brewing Company. Quiet sense of confidence. Quiet sense of confidence. Indeed. And I'm not saying I think Iowa will win. I don't think any of us would be surprised if they won in a night game in Kinnick Stadium. I don't think any of us would be surprised. I think that they're going to cover. I think for Iowa, some of the interesting numbers, listen to some of these numbers. I think that you'll find these very interesting. Penn State, their average time on field, also known as on this planet, field uh, time of possession. They're 124th in the nation, 24, point thir- 24 minutes and 13 seconds a game. Iowa is fifth in the nation in most time of possession, 35 35 minutes and 59 seconds. Average drive time. Iowa is fourth in the nation at 2.89 minutes average drive per game. That's not average scoring drive. It's average every drive. Penn State is 117th. Their average drive is 1.77 minutes. Plays per possession. Iowa is averaging 6.05 plays per possession. That ranks eighth in college football. Penn State ranks 125th at just 4.15. Obviously, these stats are telling us that Penn State is, but also Penn State's like 10th or 11 in points per game. They're scoring their points on big plays quickly, and Iowa is doing it on long extended drives. As I mentioned earlier this week in another podcast, Iowa's got 13 touchdowns this year. Nine of them have come on drives of 75 yards or more. What's going to be fascinating to me is which of these two aspects is going to be repeatable. Is Iowa's long, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten play drives for 60, 70 yards, is that repeatable, as repeatable? Or is Penn State's quick scoring more repeatable or more likely to be repeated? And I, I think it's tougher, obviously, to put together longer drives like that and score touchdowns at a higher rate. But if Iowa can keep Penn State away from the big play and force the Nittany Lions to actually have to put these long plays together, these long drives together, th- then I think Iowa can win a 24-21, 27-24 style of game. I don't think that will happen, but I think that is their path to a victory. I, I like what you're pulling out about Penn State. And the circumstances of this game remind me so much of Michigan and Iowa last year. It's just that game was later in the season, obviously. But you, know, you remember the things I was concerned about going into that game. Um, it, it really was Michigan's first uh, true road test. You know, they had played two road games. Rutgers is terrible. Michigan State was not very good. Uh, Penn State really has not had, has not had, has not had a a road test. Um, they've racked up huge numbers um, against scrub opponents. Even Pitt, an in-state rival, uh, cover actually covered the line, actually outgained Penn State in that game. And then we saw what Oklahoma State did to Pittsburgh in the first quarter. I mean, it was like watch, watching Jamel Holloway and Brian Bosworth eat hot dogs on the sideline at halftime of the Jack Trice in the 80s. It was just unfreaking believable. It, just, it was like Pittsburgh, JV versus the varsity kind of stuff. So I'm not really sure how, in, how impressive even that win over an unimpressive in-state rival was. I'm a little concerned with some of James Franklin's antics. Frankly, he strikes me as trying to get his Harbaugh on with some of the, you know, I'm going to 
ice the Georgia State punter when I'm up 50 or, or kicker when I'm up 56 to nothing because I don't like the alignment of my fourth string kick blocking unit. Really, it's I just want to shut out. It's saying beating Pitts like beating Akron. That's that, that kind of stuff just sort of strikes me as trying too hard. You look at the environment. The last three times a top five team has come to Kinnick, they've lost. That includes Michigan last year. You have a big revenge trend here for Iowa. The way they were just depanted, denutted by Penn State last year, just humiliated in that game. And we have detesticled. Yes, is the preferred and, nomenclature. And and what and you know, as a Michigan fan, I've been on the other side of the trend of how Iowa plays the week after they get denutted. I go back to 2004. Iowa goes out to Arizona State and literally gets eunuched. And the next week they come to our place, and that game goes all the way to the fourth quarter before Michigan wins on a pick six, if I recall. I go back to last year. I believe we played you right after Penn State denutted you guys last year. We were the next game. And that was another one of my big concerns was that's a program with a lot of pride, particularly in its physicality and the way that Penn State just mauled them up front. They're going to play hard, and I think that will be in the mind of a lot of Iowa's players on Saturday, um, the way that that game played out. Now, and Iowa also, as a home underdog under Ferentz, does not happen often, but since 2002, Iowa is 7-3-1 as a home underdog against the number. So all those are things in Iowa's favor. Since when? I think it's say 2002. It's the last, I think I meant like 2012. I'm sorry. I was going to say um, they've only been an underdog at home 11 times since 2002. But it, but even but it, it may even be further than 12. I know it's been I know that number is several years. Iowa is not a home dog very often. Um, so here, but ultimately though, there's the players. I actually think defensively Iowa's better than Penn State. I, I don't really think Penn State's all that great defensively. Um, but the skill position talent at Penn State is dramatically superior, Akron Wanley aside. So to me, John, this game comes down to this. Can Trace McSorley make throws, those 12 to 18 yard throws that um, Iowa forces a quarterback to make? He's not been asked to make those throws a lot as a college quarterback. You know, a lot of times last year, his touchdown throws were dump offs to Gasecki or Saquon Barkley or throw it up to Chris Godwin, who's in the NFL now, and a 50 50 jump ball, and Godwin gets it. Like we saw like three times in the Rose Bowl last year. I was going to force him to be more patient. Iowa, those time of possession numbers, you know, Iowa has looked at those. And they have said, hey, we need to make Penn State play our game in our team the way Iowa State made us play their game at theirs two weeks ago and if they come in here and they're willing to and they can win a game where they're not going to get 35 points just by showing up if they can beat us 28 to 24 28 17 god bless them they're better than us but i think iowa is going to force by the style of play that they play they're going to force penn state to play that way now if trace mcsorley can make those throws i think they will blitzkrieg iowa just too much athleticism on the perimeter amongst their skill positions. But but I'm not sure he can make those throws. And so I'm going to take Iowa. I'm going to lay the points. Would not be shocked at all, depending on how healthy Akron Wadley truly is, if Iowa actually won the game straight up. So I'm going to put eight points on Iowa. I want to see Trace McSorley make those throws. See if he can actually make them. And if he can, if he can make those throws, then nobody may beat Penn State in the Big Ten this year.
because of how good the rest of their skill talent is. And with that, it's time to play the games. We'll talk to you Saturday.